Hi, I'm Alex. And I'm Brenda. Welcome to Conversational Counseling, where counseling and discipleship meet. I wake up at three in the morning and just rehearse over and over again, the play-by-play of the conversations, the analysis of how productive was I today? Did I get enough done? Did I do it right? And so I think each person has their own form of perfectionism. Well, hey, Alex, we're (laughs) wrapping up season four, Wisdom for Life's Common Struggles. And as you know, I have been anxiously awaiting or lovingly longing for this episode because it puts you on the hot seat, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, you know, perfectionism is actually one of the few things I don't struggle with. Um, I don't think I've been accused very often of being a perfectionist, but I do know a little bit about perfectionism because I was raised by one. My mother is definitely perfectionistic. My husband leans toward perfectionism. And one of my very, very closest, dearest friends, confidants and personal counselors, who I will not name, is also one. (laughs) Oh, you know, and I just think as a reforming people pleaser, um, you know, I just want people to like me because I'm irresistible, not because I'm perfect, right? Um, And I'm really mostly comfortable with this idea of it's just good enough. It's In fact, it's kind of a mantra I have. Ah, it's just good enough. Uh, But those words really tend to be death to the perfectionist because the perfectionist thinks it's never good enough. Am I right? That's true. And I'm glad you added the word mostly in there because I do think there's one place that you do struggle with perfectionism Uh and it's right here where we are today. Um, It's in the place of um, the podcasting uh, that we do together. And there's the one place you have a hard time saying it's good enough. It's like you're tweaking, (laughs) you're massaging, you're adding. And so I think you can relate to a lot of the things we say today. (laughs) All right. I'll have to say that is true enough. And maybe even if I go broader, I think when it comes to presenting God's word and teaching and exhorting, I I probably lean that way. But that is the only area. Yes. Um, But but what, (laughs) just to be clear, um, because I'm not going to be on this hot seat, Alex. This is this podcast for you, my friend. That's right. I see how you're working. See how she's working this? (laughs) Just like, let's, you know, reframe this a little bit. Uh, But seriously, why don't we start off with a definition of perfectionism? How, How would you describe it? Well, first, I'm just going to give the literal dictionary definition of perfectionism, which says that perfectionism is refusing to accept anything less than flawless, which sounds so intimidating even when I read it. But I would say spiritually, um, perfectionism is characterized by working for our salvation, like trying to be good enough or trying to be good enough to merit favor from God and, and forgetting that we're um, that the promise of eternal life that we have is not based on what we do, but on who Christ is and what he has done. And so I think even within talking about that spiritually, we see that perfectionism and self-righteousness are really closely linked together. Um, we're thinking about the older brother in the prodigal son story, how he was the rule follower, the disciplined one. He didn't outwardly get out of line, and that's the key point, not outwardly. <laughs> um, and yet he's still very far from the heart of God. So um, I think one of the things I've realized in myself and I've heard other people say about perfectionism 
is that um, repenting or recovering from being the self-righteous older brother is actually harder than being the younger brother and repenting. And so I, I definitely see that in my own life. Yeah, well, I'm glad you brought up the story of the prodigal because I think that so often the focus is on the prodigal instead mm-hmm. of the older brother. But Jesus was really telling that story to rebuke those who were self-righteous. And, um, you know, I can definitely see, um, because because if you think about it, those of us who tend more toward the younger brother, at some mm-hmm. point we normally drive our lives into a ditch and mm-hmm. we have a felt need for Jesus, right? We're not self-deceived. But it's a lot harder to get to that desperate place when your idolatry is working for you. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. And I think we'll talk about some of the kind of quote-unquote benefits of perfectionism later. But one of the ways I like to think about perfectionism and what it does for us is that it it is us taking ourselves into the courtroom over and over again. Like we... We are constantly prosecuting ourselves. And so it kind of harkens back to what we talked about in season one with the shuns. That was uh, one of the episodes we had, justification, sanctification, glorification. And we talked about the fact that justification is a legal term. It's the one and done. It's the we're in the courtroom of God and he lowers the gavel and declares us not guilty, not because of what we've done, but because of what Christ has done and because of his righteousness. And um, in addition, and this is a key point, I think, for us perfectionists to hang on to, in addition to being declared not guilty, we, um, we have something called double imputation, and we didn't put that in the shuns podcast, so I think we need to talk about it today. And double imputation says that God looks on me in Christ just as if I have never sinned and just as if I have always obeyed. So I not only get forgiveness for my sins, but I also get Jesus's righteousness credited to me. And in perfectionism, I don't grasp a hold of that. And I believe I still have to earn God's favor by my own righteousness. And so, as I said, there we are at three o'clock in the morning, taking ourselves into the courtroom over and over again. Mm -hmm. And we're putting God and everyone else in the gallery watching us as we sit in the seat of the judge and we sit in the in the seat of the one being prosecuted and we're constantly trying to judge if we measure up. Mm. And that is absolutely terrible, terrifying, and taxing. Mm-hmm. Um, and really and truly, Alex, it's an exercise in futility because it undermines the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. Yes. And that's yes. our standing as Christians. That's right. And so you can hear, I love the word that you said, taxing, because you can hear the um, the ways that you just are a perfectionist or I wake up at three in the morning and just rehearse over and over again, the play by play of the conversations, the analysis of how productive was I today? Did I get enough done? Did I do it right? And so I think each person has their own form of perfectionism, even as we talked about Um, Just a minute ago, Brenda, a lot of us may think we don't struggle with perfectionism, but maybe it crops up in just one or two areas of our lives that are Mm -hmm. really important to us, or maybe it's it's across the board. Um, So each person has their own form of protection, perfectionism, and their own criteria for judging themselves. And I think Mm -hmm. that's a big part of perfectionism is we're judging ourselves. And so we may believe that another person doesn't struggle with it, but it's just because they're judging themselves from a different standard than we would judge them. Mm. 
And I think that's why Paul um, reminds us in the scripture that he doesn't even judge himself. Like, I think he's trying to speak to us perfectionists to say, like, not only should you not be judging other people, but be careful and, and don't even turn that judgment in towards yourself because um, you're on dangerous ground. And, and to your point, Brenda, you're going to wear yourself out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think there's something really interesting about this perfectionistic tendency because there's, there's actually a, a good side of it. I think most of the perfectionistic people I know really want to be excellent. Mm-hmm. And I was even thinking about like the podcast or my desire for teaching like there is this desire, I'm representing the Lord, I want it to be excellent or, mm-hmm. you know, the, in, in any area. And, and it seems like most of the people that I know who character logically, like in every area of their life, struggle with perfectionism, they really are excellent at the things they do. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just wondering, like, kind of where that teeters over from excellence to perfectionism. Mm-hmm. And then what's like, there has to be some sort of goal or motivation or something that perfection perfectionistic person is wanting for themselves. Do you see what I'm saying? Like some desi- yeah. underlying desire there that pushes me from excellence to now I have to be perfect. Yeah, I think you're, you're touching on something really important. First of all, I've, I've had people say to me like the employee that they want to hire is the recovering perfectionist, mm. right? Um, and, and I've also heard, even heard Brene Brown say that the antidote to perfectionism is excellence which is a little bit of a brain Ooh. teaser if you really think about it. But I think you're touching on that, um, the difference between um, absolutely flawless um, versus um, do everything unto the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Yes. And so um, the flawlessness, I think, gets motivated by that self-justification. Like, I want to make sure that I feel good about myself and make myself acceptable to others. And so I create a standard that is really unachievable. And so I think it's the self-justification and it's an impossible standard. And and I think it's all surrounding um, making sure that others will accept me. Well, that's really good. So I'm going to have to really think about whether I'm perfectionistic in this realm uh, that you've accused me of. (laughs) 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 Just kidding. Or if I'm just seeking excellence. But again, to your point, it's a fine line and it really goes back Mm -hmm. a lot to the motivation there. So that's a a good thing. I think for anybody listening who's thinking I'm not perfectionistic as well, like, well, look at those places in your life where you are really striving to achieve a high standard or looking for excellence, and then ask mm-hmm. yourself, what is the motivation behind that? Because I think that'll be really telling. Is it to really love God and love your neighbor, or does it tend to be more self-serving? Mm-hmm. So here's a question. What are the, and I'm going to say perceived positive effects or benefits of perfectionism? Yeah, I think it's an excellent question, because I think part of the allure of perfectionism is that we as perfectionists get a lot of positive feedback. I mean, starting probably in preschool, we get um, praise from the teachers, uh, from the coaches, from other parents, because we are the rule followers. And so there is a sense that it's hard to let go of striving for that perfectionism because we're getting praise, we're getting positive reinforcement all the time because we follow the rules and people want us, you know, in their organization. And so 
Um, it, again, I like your word perceived because it has its own pitfalls, but, but we have to acknowledge that perfectionists are constantly getting reinforced for their pet sin. Mm. Wow. Okay. Well, as you talk, I am realizing that perfectionistic people and people pleasers have something in common. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that is we both want praise and admiration from others, but how we go about getting it is different, which is really interesting because a people pleaser is more likely to say, hey, I'll be imperfect and break the rules if it means you will like me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and that's why so many of us are chameleons and get in trouble along the way, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, but for you as a perfectionist, there's this inner ruthless critic that's a driving mm -hmm. force. And so how does that impact you negatively? I think it means that we live lives where we're very tired, <laughs> um, where we're very anxious, uh, often lack confidence. Um, I think we become very critical of self and by extension others. There's no way to turn that criticism on ourselves and it doesn't eventually come out towards others. I think we feel guilty and discouraged all the time because we think we're falling short. I think um, we can begin to believe that people don't care about us for who we are, but only for what we do and how we do it. And so kind of in the words of scripture, we tend to live like orphans instead of sons or daughters, or um, as Paul contrasts it, slaves instead of sons or daughters. Yeah. So, you know, you've talked about how um, guilt and discouragement lead to shame and how that shame perpetuates perfectionists perfectionism. Um, so can you explain that, kind of what that link is between shame and perfectionist, uh, perfectionism? Goodness, I can't say that word. And how, I can't say very, it either. I'm not very perfectionistic yeah. in how I'm saying perfectionism yeah. and how they're related. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Don't judge me. <laughs> so this has been one of probably the areas that I've, I've grown to understand the most in the last several years is this connection between shame and perfectionism. I think it helps if we'll first define shame and then we'll make the connections. So shame, um, uh, first of all, we could talk about shame for an entire season, and we probably will at some point because it's such a big topic. But um, I want to give a working definition for this discussion. So shame is the deep sense that you are unacceptable because of something you did or something done to you, or something associated with you. And it makes you feel exposed and humiliated. So often we say that shame is not saying I've done something bad, but it's saying I am bad. So Alex, we know that counselors and psychologists will tell us that shame is the most painful human emotion to feel. And we'll do just about anything to avoid it or cover it. So for you, where do you think this idea of I am bad began? Yeah, I think that this may seem strange, but I think that story of shame began before I was even born. You know, my story is that my mom was 17 when she got pregnant with me. And so I really believe that from my earliest days, um, I spent my life trying to be worthy of love. So. Um, the interesting thing, too, about the way perfectionism has kind of played out for me is that I can't say I'm not a detail-oriented person, so I am not, like, down to the detail. Everything has to be perfect, but I, I'm a perfectionist who feels like they have to do it all, and so I, um, 
I just felt like I had to do everything. And when I say this next thing, I'm not saying this with pride. I actually say this with a great deal of sorrow, but I think it illustrates something really important about the way that I've struggled. I was voted best all around in both high school and college because I did it all. And I, if I joined an organization, I was an officer in it, and I joined lots of organizations. And so, um, you know, I've shared that with a lot of people, and I've even told my children. But it really became, um, I don't know, tangible a couple of months ago when I was cleaning out a closet, and I found my daytimer, if you remember those, my oh, yeah. daytimer from college. That's <laughs> dating us. <laughs> yes, and I think I looked at both my junior and senior years. My daughter was sitting here with me, and I turned it around to her, and she was like, oh, my gosh, and um, took a picture of it to save it because it's just such a tangible expression of my way of I do perfectionism. But literally, morning to night was scheduled out every single day of the week. Like, it was just... I, I literally remember leaving my apartment at 7, 7.30 in the morning and getting home at 10 o'clock at night, and that's just the way my, my whole junior and senior year in college looked like. And so I just really felt like I had to do it all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, I think it's good just to take a minute to pause here and, you know, recognize that there are life circumstances that both shape and reveal our hearts. Mm -hmm. And hearing a little bit about the story that you were born into um, definitely gives us a backdrop to make it a little bit easier to see how shame and perfectionism um, actually could become a part of your story. Mm -hmm. So you say shame is the other side of the coin of perfectionism. Heard you say mm -hmm. that. So tell us what that means. So uh, I think for years I thought I didn't struggle with shame. I would read books about shame and I would talk about shame, but I just thought, I just, this just really isn't my struggle. And I think on my second or third time through Shame Interrupted by Ed Welch and going back through the parable of the prodigal son, I, I realized, okay, I am the legalistic older brother. But what I realized is that I was using perfectionism, the do-it-all perfectionism, to cover my shame. And so it worked, right? I couldn't even sense or didn't even feel aware of the shame that I was trying to cover or trying to hide. And really what I realized is that um, I, I had this driving need to see it all and do it all because if I flipped over the coin, shame was on the other side. So it was, it was just the other side of the same coin. Mm -hmm. And so this was just the way I distracted myself and other people from looking at this sense of unworthiness in me. So um, I remember Brene Brown saying, um, when perfectionism is driving us, shame is riding shotgun. And fear is the annoying backseat driver. And it, and it just took me a long time to turn and look at shame riding shotgun in my own life. And, um, and to see that, yeah, it's been there the whole time. And Brene Brown also says, perfectionism is the self-destructive and addictive, addictive belief system that fuels this primary thought. If I look perfect and I do everything perfectly, I can avoid or minimize the painful feelings of shame, judgment, and blame. And mm. I think she's just saying in much clearer words than I can, um, what I lived is that I didn't even take time to recognize that my perfectionism was, was covering up my sense of shame. Mm. 
Wow. I, I feel like that might be um, something that some of our listeners may have to go back and listen to again and really unpack. That's, that's a great correlation there, but I think one that most people really don't consider, you know. Mm-hmm. So, well, let's talk about the results of perfectionism because we know wherever there's a bad root, there's going to be bad fruit. And Mm -hmm. we've alluded to this, but, um, and of course, you and I love alliteration. So, uh, you know, we've got three, exhaustion, exacting, and exasperation. Mm -hmm. Um, And so let's, let's just talk about exhaustion for a minute. When I think about perfectionism, I imagine a hamster on a wheel. And there's a yeah. lot of motion, but no movement, right? Yes. Yeah, that's a great way to think about it. Um, yeah, because we're, we're adding these extra biblical standards on ourselves. We're always requiring more of ourselves than God does. We're always feeling failure. And we're driven to succeed, control ourselves and others. Um, we, we tend to want to control ourselves and others to achieve our goals. And so um, it's really hard for us to get in touch with Jesus saying, my, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, because it's like, there's nothing that feels light about this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to really sink into that what Jesus is offering us is that he doesn't, he's not trying to add to our load, that um, what he's asking us to do is surrender and trust him and trust in his righteousness. And that's really counterintuitive for someone who is bent towards perfectionism to to stop to slow down and to stop driving ourselves is really counterintuitive and to really grasp the fact that god is not a taskmaster up there with a, a score sheet in his hand you know judging mm-hmm. us like um like we're in some olympic um game but he's a loving father who um who wants us to be able to rest in him mm-hmm. Okay, so what about exacting? What do we mean when we say exacting, that that's a fruit of perfectionism? Yeah, I probably should have a good definition of exacting, but I think most of us, when we either do it or we experience it, we know what it is. And I would say it's probably just being really highly critical, um, uh, judgmental, and it's us having that scorecard in our hand all the time. And so I would say that... um, if you're going to try to live as a perfect person and create a perfect world, you're going to have have this high sense of control over yourself, and it's going to get turned out on others. And so we're very critical of ourselves, and we're very critical of others. And I think we make others feel less than with our high standards and expectations. And I saw this so clearly the first, I'm going to say several, and leave it very murky, several years of marriage, many years of marriage, and I know Mason would tell tell these same stories, but I mean, I always had a plan for him. I always had some behavioral plan for how he could yeah. exercise more or get more done or read more books or, you know, and I mean, literally, I mean, by trade, I'm, I'm a school teacher. So, I mean, I literally had the charts on the refrigerator and they were always plans for his self-improvement, you know? <laughs> I just really believed that when I, when he married me, he needed me to be his junior Holy Spirit. And I was ready for that. I was there for that job. But, I mean, just think about living with someone who is constantly 
seeing you as their self-improvement project because that's what that's what exacting mm. feels like it's like we put other people under the microscope as well as ourselves yeah and that inevitably leads to our last e which is exasperation because if we're highly critical and judgmental of ourselves and others it is going to be exhausting and exasperating yeah. Because we will never, ever, 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 and they go on and on and on, achieve perfection, and neither will the people that we love. Mm -hmm. And the beauty is we don't have to. You know, Paul says, God made him who had no sin to be mm -hmm. sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And mm -hmm. so I think the way we see this played out, Alex, is just right, contempt. Contempt for yourself. I have mm -hmm. to or else mentality. Um, and, you know, perfectionistic people, if, if they fail, it really can lead to devastation mm -hmm. um, and just dominate their perception of self. Like they're just mm -hmm. worthless. Like you said, we just go back into that shame and with the contempt and then contempt for others. Because if you can't measure up, um, then, you know, how am I going to have a relationship with you? It's less relational satisfaction. Um, mm -hmm. And I would argue that in, in for both people, the perfectionist and the person who's under the perfectionist or in the relationship, it does feel like you're in a relationship with a harsh taskmaster. Yeah. Yeah. The, the exasperation goes both ways. We, we feel yes. exasperated with ourselves and then we exasperate other people. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's like you feel exasperated with yourself. You become exasperated with other people and then other people get exasperated <laughs> with themselves because they can't measure up. And then they're exasperated with you because they can never please you. So it's like, yeah. It's like exasperation times four. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 Well, let's talk mm -hmm. about some solutions because this is getting yeah. down. Let's bring it back up. Let's <laughs> 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 infuse some hope into the situation. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say for each one of these podcasts, we, we've been trying to do a soul tool and a body tool. And so um, we have several soul tools for this one. Yeah, well, we're going to recommend our Shuns podcast. We'll uh, put that in our show notes. Uh, really, if you think about it, coming back to the gospel, I mean, this is one of those besetting sins where coming back to justification really is going to be important. And even coming back to the fact that our sanctification is rooted in justification. In other words, we don't earn God's salvation and we don't earn his favor to stay in mm -hmm. good standing with him as we continue to grow. And then Two other books that you and I really like. One is The Gospel Primer. I think that's by some, somebody, Vincent. I can't think of his first name. And mm -hmm. The Gospel-Centered Life. And we could link those also in our show notes for easy access. But uh, those two resources are really going to take somebody back to, um, and our Shuns podcast, I think, just really being rooted and grounded in God's love for us and what mm -hmm. he's done for us in Christ. Yeah, and I would add one other thing. I think I, I love I, I love all those resources, and I believe that the gospel is the antidote for perfectionism. But the way that practically I see that play out is that we have to be in close, authentic relationships with other people. And I think authenticity is a big word for perfectionists because we want to hide where we feel like we are not flawless. And so... To be able to be in an authentic relationship with God first and foremost and um, to show our true selves to God because I think we often hide even from him 
and then to be able to be in relationships with other people. And so my counselor has challenged me uh, often with these words, and I've really grown to embrace this and love the idea of me um, becoming comfortable with messy Alex. You know, the part of me that doesn't have it figured out, that doesn't know what to do, that has a lot of emotion that I don't know what to do with or doesn't have a plan, that's kind of messy Alex to me. And for me to to be with her before the Lord and know that he's perfectly comfortable with her and then to allow other people to be with me when I'm when I feel messy and that that becomes the way that the gospel becomes real and it moves from an intellectual ascent into a heart experience. The relationship to me is what has gotten the gospel to become um, real and to become an effective antidote because it's being lived out as other people love me well in the midst of me not being perfect. Yeah. And Alex, let me just say, because I get to see messy Alex and I love her <laughs> so much <laughs> because I get to see her. It means we can be friends. Yeah. <laughs> right. And yeah. so, um, no, I appreciate that so much. And, you know, it's in the messy Alex that I see more of Jesus you know, and that's beautiful too. So thank you for, yeah. for letting me in to see who well, you really and let, are. Thank you for saying that. And I think that's true because you're a safe person for me to be messy with. But I also think that what you're saying touches on something that we, we, we haven't talked about, but it is that perfectionists are lonely. Um, because when we don't want people to see that, we live a lot of our lives hidden. Mm. And so... To be with people who we feel safe showing the messy parts of us, the imperfect parts of us, um, allows us to break out of that loneliness. Because as we said, we've already exasperated ourselves and enough people, and so we pull back. And I think some of the sweetest friendships for me are places where people have said, um, you know, I just admire you or I respect you so much. And I've been able to really early on say, hey, I just need you to not put me on a pedestal. Not Don't reinforce. Like when I can be really honest of like, don't reinforce the part of me that wants to stay perfect in front of you mm -hmm. and let me just fail. And, and I've learned to say that early on in relationships. And people who respond to that well and who invite me to just like... Like you just said, like when they can um, encourage the parts of me that aren't always put together because I've been able to say, okay, here's my struggle and I'm going to be tempted to not let you see this. And when they kind of celebrate messy Alex, when they like her, like it's, <laughs> it's very freeing. <laughs> yeah, freeing. I love that. It's all about freedom. And it does make mm -hmm. uh, remind me too, in season one, we did a podcast on our superpowers and we talk about the necessary necessity of community, right? And um, I love just this idea that we need deep friendships for deep change. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. uh, I think that's a great soul tool, like our three superpowers. It will not be enough just to have God's word and God's spirit. Like we miss a, a major part of what helps us be transformed, and that's living in close community. Well, let's yeah. talk about some body tools, Alex. I think there's one, and I think we've talked about it in other podcasts, but there's no way to talk about perfectionism and not not talk about rest because perfectionism drives us. And so I think the, the, 
the greatest body tool we can use is to learn how to rest. Tim Keller has this great little um, quote that he says, lay your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet. Stand in him and him alone, gloriously complete. And to rest is to lay our deadly doing down. And for me, it's, it's probably been a three or four year journey of understanding what rest is. That rest is a ceasing from our labor. And so it's caused me to ask questions like, well, what does my normal labor look like? And as a counselor, my normal labor is peopled, it's talking, it's sitting. Um, and so to begin to think about ceasing from my labor as rest means that rest for me actually is often movement and it's quiet and it's some alone time because that's the opposite of what my normal work looks like. And so Sabbath, that's changed the way I experience Sabbath. It's caused me to plan more actually activity but it's not activity that's driving me. It's activity that's re truly recreating me. And so, of course, Sabbath is a big part of that. But I would also say learning to physically rest and learning to have a sensory rest. One, one of the things I found myself doing is, oh, I'm going to take a walk, but I'm going to always have a podcast in my ears. Mm -hmm. And I always have this sensory stimulation. I'm always multitasking. If I'm cooking, I'm listening to something. I'm, I'm always doing three or four things at once. And to even give myself sensory rest that causes me to focus on the task at hand and to not have a lot of other stimulation is another way that I've learned that my body needs to come to rest. And it, it causes me to um, really remember that what Psalms is saying of like cease striving, that there's not a striving in all my doing. There's a focus and there is a simplicity to my doing that didn't used to be there. Yeah. Wow. I just love all that. And I think you're right. It's really interesting. I can almost say with every podcast this season, we could put rest. Yeah. Understanding Sabbath, understanding resting God at the top of the list of our body tools that actually ministers to our soul, that we're in mm -hmm. body spirits and we are so intricately uh, connected uh, that to give our bodies and our minds rest as something to the inner man that nothing else can. So it's really mm -hmm. great. Well, Alex, it's time to wrap this thing up. But um, mm. as we do wrap up, I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about how God has rescued you from the delusion of perfectionism mm. and, you know, how you've just grown. Maybe just a few points that uh, we can take away and give some other folks who are struggling some hope that with Jesus's help and his means, this is something that can be overcome progressively in our lives, not perfectly, mm. <laughs> but little yeah. by little. Yeah. So again, it's going to be in both of these areas of relationship and rest. I think I had to first come to know myself well and, and then allow others to really know me and um, not just allow people to know me, but also to allow people... Let me say it this way. Part of knowing myself meant I had to know my limitations, my finiteness, and my frailty. And then um, I had to let other people love me and serve me and do for me. And for somebody who wants to do all the time, that was a very, very hard thing to do. And, of course, one of the ways the Lord had to teach me that was through chronic pain when there are times when I could not do for myself. And I do not recommend that as a way to learn that lesson. <laughs> so, right. um, 
So uh, again, being in relationships where I'm known and and where I allow myself to receive has been very big. Mm. Um, learning how to rest has truly been the hardest work of my life, which sounds like an oxymoron, mm-hmm. but um, it is true. And it's it's really been about not just not doing because we can all turn on Netflix and veg out and not do, but it's it's learning how to rest, which means my spirit coming to rest, my spirit being at peace with not being productive and with not accomplishing something. And those are two different things. I remember um, uh, about a year or two ago, it kind of came home to me. I saw, you know, you're flipping through Instagram and you're seeing these little pithy sayings, but this one just like like jumped off the screen and hit me between the eyes. And it said... Um, it was talking about how we talk about ourselves. And it said, when you are tired, do you ask yourself, why am I being so lazy? Or can you become curious about, oh, I wonder why I'm tired today. And I, it jumped off the page because I realized that it had been a weekend where I'd gone through the weekend and I had called myself lazy either internally in my own mind or externally. And in, in calling myself lazy, I realized I'm not at rest, yeah. even if I'm not doing anything. Mm-hmm. But being able to be curious and say, oh, wow, I feel really tired today. What does my body need? And be curious about what my body needs. That was learning how to come to rest and really be at peace with inactivity. So I would just say to close, like the only way that either of these things have happened is because I have had to vertically orient the love of God for me like I don't think we can be known and receive in relationships or learn to allow our bodies to come to rest if we don't fully embrace the love of God for us that he is not waiting for us to get things done that he is really okay um and for me that meant recognizing that one of the lies that shaped me was that I had to do it right I had to get it done and I had to replace that and I had to regularly say to myself and still do the perfect life has already been the perfect life has already been lived for me and Jesus already did it all it's finished all right well that will preach that'll preach preach. I think we can stop right there I don't want to mess it up (laughs) so well thank you Alex thank you for just being vulnerable with your own struggle and thank you for letting us also just see the glory of God and Christ in you as he has continued to transform you. It's been super beautiful and it's been fun. And I'm glad. It's been fun for you to not be on the hot seat. <laughs> yes, it has been, no <laughs> doubt. No doubt. Well, listen, we are thankful for everyone who has taken time out to listen to us. And we hope that this entire series has been profitable. Mm-hmm. Um, we'd love your feedback. If you have questions, we would love for you to message us through any of our social media outlets. Start a conversation on our conversational counseling Facebook page uh, about any of the topics, and we'd love to pop on and uh, give answers or, um, you know, hopefully not add to your confusion, but encourage you more. So we're just really thankful for the opportunity we have and just this time that God has given. So God bless to everybody. For visuals and discussion questions for this podcast, sign up at knownministries.org. Because we learn better together, we'd love for you to share this podcast with others and gather to discuss it. If you take a moment to like, follow, subscribe, and rate this podcast, it'll help tremendously. 
We'd love to connect on social at Known Ministries. This podcast is made possible by generous donors, executive producer Malia Smith, and engineers and producers Shane Selby and Zachary Tate-Smith. The information presented is for the enjoyment of all and is not intended as either medical advice or counseling, nor is it specific to any particular individual. It is not intended to replace counseling, medical care, or professional advice. Please contact 911 if you're having an emergency.